Praise the Lord. I choose thankful. What a great message. Really feeling a sense of the Holy Spirit among us this morning. I'm praying a lot about today, and I um, just wanted to say I really sense the Holy Spirit among us. And before I get into the message, we want to take our tithes and offerings this morning. But I was thinking about our finances this week and realized that you know, every time you give of your tithes and your offerings, it's an act of obedience. The Bible calls us to it. But it's also an act of faith. And we're called to be people of faith. I think it's important not just to say, well, Lord, this is what you call me to and do it. That's, obedience is good. But it is an act of faith because you are, first of all, trusting that God will provide what you need. One of the reasons I've changed my giving to online is because it talks about the first fruits. And I realized that I'd been a faithful tither, but it'd been kind of the last fruits. I looked to make sure I had enough that week or that month to cover the bills, and then if there was enough, then I would give at that point. Made sure I always gave a tithe. The Lord said, no, I'm calling you to first fruits. And giving online helped me go, ooh, but what about the rest of my bills? And it's like, no, I'm going to trust God right off the top. And that was an act of faith. But the second part is that trusting that when you give to here at City Hill, that you're actually giving to the work of the Lord. You're giving to a living God. I've heard people talk about their giving at churches somewhat like a club membership. You pay your fees and you get your services from the church. It is not that. It is not a matter of paying dues, because actually you can come to City Hill and enjoy all the benefits and give nothing. This is not a social club. But this is an investment in God's work. This is an investment in what God is doing in and through us as the family of God, in and through us as a church. So as you give, give with joy. Um, there's a slide probably up here. There it is. It's different ways to give online, text, many options these days. There's a box there back between the doors if you want to give in a check. But as you give, make sure you give in obedience and also as an act of your faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your gifts to us and your finances that you've blessed us with. Help us to give, but to give in faith and to give with great joy. Be with us today as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, before we jump into our message, uh, Steve Osi. Steve, you here today? There he is. Steve and his wife, Robin. Steve called me with a story that I just thought was too good not to pass on. Um, as you know, in my home, we have two 93-year-old women. It's When you're working with parents at an elder age, there's all sorts of challenges, but there's also times that are funny, right? And so Steve's mother is in a retirement center, and things are going kind of tough for her there, trying to figure out. She had to wear a mask, and she's been isolated, and Steve, caring for his mom, decided it was time to break her out. So he went on over there, got his mom, got in the car, and said, you just got to get out of this place for a little bit. And they drove around, 
And Steve was telling me they went to see some Christmas lights. They went out for a, a meal, drive through, and they began to sing Handel's Messiah. And one of the things that happens with, with older people is they may not remember what they had for lunch today, but they remember music. And they remember the hymns and the things that they grew up with. And so they sang loudly, multiple times, Handel's Messiah. I'm sure not all the songs, but probably the Hallelujah Chorus. And at one point, she looks down at the phone that was in the car, and Steve on his phone has a picture of his lovely wife, Robin. And his mother looks down and goes, Steve, who's that? Steve says, well, that's Robin. And mother says, are you going to tell her about us? <laughs> and Steve said, well, since you're my mom and that's my wife, um, what would you like me to tell her? Pauses for a minute of silence and the mother says, well, I just think you should tell her. So Steve figures, as he writes, the best I can tell, Mom thought she was 16 and out cruising the city with a two-timing guy that plays great music. <laughs> so um, it's good. It's rich. It's good to honor our parents. It's good to care for them. And uh, we, sometimes it's better to laugh, right? It's always good to laugh. One of the great stories of the Bible, if you've grown up in Sunday school, you certainly hit the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Reminds me of the great Western showdown. It's good against evil, false gods against Jehovah, and they come into their moment of deciding which is God. Here's the backstory: Elijah was a great prophet of God, one of the greatest of all times. He lived in Israel when Israel was being ruled by an evil king, King Ahab. The only thing worse than King Ahab was his wife, who was named Jezebel. Don't ever tell somebody they have a Jezebel spirit. It's a bad thing. Jezebel was a bad queen. And they had turned the kingdom of Israel away from serving the almighty, holy God, and they had turned the nation towards serving Baal, a false god. And as judgment for turning away from God, God sent a drought upon the land. For three and a half years, it did not rain. And as you can imagine, in those days, to not have rain meant to crops, meant that people were going into a time of famine, it was a horrible time of suffering for the kingdom. And this drought was brought on by God, but through the words of the prophet Elijah, who said, until I say no rain will fall on this land. This was God's judgment, but he used his prophet Elijah. So Elijah became public enemy number one. And Ahab set out to kill him. Problem was he couldn't find him. Because Elijah had gone into hiding. And King Ahab had searched every corner of the kingdom looking for Elijah and had not found him. And then one day, Elijah steps out of hiding 
he emerges and asks for a meeting with King Ahab. Can you kind of hear the scene is set for battle? We read in 1 Kings 18 out of the contemporary English version, Ahab went to meet Elijah, and when he saw him, Ahab shouted, There you are, the biggest troublemaker in all Israel. And Elijah answered, You're the troublemaker, not me. You and your family have disobeyed the Lord's command by worshiping Baal. Call together everyone from Israel and meet me on Mount Carmel. Be sure to bring along the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab got everyone together. They went to meet Elijah on Mount Carmel. Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you try to have things both ways? It's a good question for us, isn't it? How much longer will you try to have things both ways? If the Lord is God, worship him. If Baal is God, worship him. The people did not say a word. Then Elijah continued, I am the Lord's only prophet, but Baal has 450 prophets. Bring us two bulls. Baal's prophets can take one of them, kill it, cut it into pieces. They can put the meat on the wood, lighting the fire, and I will do the same thing with the other bowl, and I won't light a fire under it either. The prophets of Baal will pray to their God, I will pray to the Lord, the one who answers by starting the fire is God. That's a good idea, everyone agreed. Elijah said to Baal's prophet, there are more of you, so you go first. Pick out a bowl, get it ready, but don't light the fire, then pray to your God. They chose their bowl, they got it ready, prayed to Baal all morning, asking him to start the fire. They danced around the altar and shouted, Answer us, Baal! But there was no answer. At noon, Elijah began making fun of them. Just picture this now. Began making fun of them. Pray louder, he said. Baal must be a god. Maybe he's daydreaming or using the toilet or traveling somewhere. Or maybe he's asleep. You've got to wake him up. The prophets shouted louder and louder. They cut themselves with swords and knives until they were bleeding. This was the way they worshipped. And they kept it up until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no answer of any kind. Elijah told everyone to gather around him while he repaired the Lord's altar. He used 12 stones to build an altar in honor of the Lord. Each stone stood for one of the tribes of Israel, which was the name of the Lord, had given to their ancestors Jacob. Elijah dug a ditch around the altar, large enough to hold 14 liters. He placed the wood on the altar, then he cut the bull into pieces and laid the meat on the wood. He told the people, fill four large jugs with water and pour it over the meat and the wood. And they did this. He told them to do it two more times. They did it exactly as he said until finally the water ran down the altar and filled the ditch. When it was time for the evening sacrifice, Elijah prayed, O Lord, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Now prove that you are the God of this nation and that I, your servant, have done this at your command. Please answer me. So these people will know that you are the Lord God and that you will 
and that you will turn their hearts back to you. And the Lord immediately sent fire. And it burned up the sacrifice, the wood, and the stones. It scorched the ground everywhere around the altar and dried up every drop of water in the ditch. And when the crowd saw what had happened, this is all of Israel, when the crowd saw what had happened, they all bowed down and shouted, The Lord is God. The Lord is God. Just then Elijah said, Grab the prophets of Baal. Don't let any of them get away. So the people captured the prophets, took them to the Kishon River, where Elijah killed every one of them. 450 prophets. Woo! It's a powerful story. The false gods of Baal versus the power of Almighty God. There was no contest. And in the middle of it, we find one man, Elijah, the prophet of God. He set the stage. I'm sure he was praying. He was stepping out in faith that God would consume this offering. You've got to wonder what was going on inside of his head. I love it when he began to mock Baal, the God that Israel had set up to be their God. Shout louder. Maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's in the bathroom. You just got to love the disrespect for Baal. Maybe he's asleep and they cut themselves and nothing from the false god Baal. And then, as we read, he dumped water, lots of water. This is the time of drought, when every drop of water was precious. And he's saying, pour it out over the offering. Why did he do that? I am convinced Elijah thought, the only way this is going to work is if God shows up, right? The only way it's going to work for fire to fall from heaven, he didn't have a little lighter hidden underneath somewhere. The only way this is going to work is if God shows up. And if God shows up, this water is not going to be a problem for him. It's not going to be that God goes, man, the wood's wet. There's too much water here. This is not going to be a problem for God. And Elijah prayed a simple prayer, God, please answer me. And God sent fire. God responded. And when the people saw what happened, what did they shout? The Lord is God. This was never about Elijah. They didn't shout, Elijah is his prophet. Elijah was right. When the fire fell, the people fell on their knees and said, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. As many of you may recall, there's a couple of topics I don't really like to preach about. Two topics in particular. Um, I tend to shy away from preaching on politics. And as I said earlier, I told the Lord I would never talk about money. And the Lord doesn't give you those deals, does he? If you ever tell the Lord, Lord, I will not do this for you, be sure he will circle back around. Because God doesn't like this, I will not do this for you, Lord. 
And I realize as I have worked through issues of finances in my life, may I say that going to the mission field had many challenges. Leaving home, leaving family, all those things, a different language, a different culture, heat, lights out. That's all part of the missionary's life. But my challenge, not Janet so much, my greatest challenge was money. Trusting God for the finances of my life. That's where God really had to work in me. And I realized that Jesus talked a lot about money. Eleven of his 40 parables were about money. Just think of a couple of them here. The unmerciful servant who wouldn't forgive a debt. The prodigal son who wasted his inheritance on wine, women, and song. The lost coin, the woman searched and searched until she found that which was of great value. The pearl of great price was worth selling everything for that very, very valuable pearl. Or the parable of the talents, which taught that we are simply stewards to use the gifts and the resources that God has given to us. Jesus talked a lot about money. Why? Do you think he was gearing up for a big offering? Or, he, you know, he had some big purchase he wanted, and he was trying, no, you don't see that at all in the scriptures. But I believe that Jesus was not about getting money, but Jesus was passionate to capture the hearts and souls of men. And he knew that where your money is, your heart will be also. I want to say that again. Where your money is, that's where your heart is. The scripture says and that you cannot serve both God and money. Not you should not. You cannot. And Jesus passionately wants our hearts. And that's why he uses money simply as a tool, as a method to say, where's your heart? Do I have your heart? And for that, God is very jealous. You know, God has entrusted each of us with money. Each of us at very different levels. But God has entrusted us with different amounts in how you spend your money, how you invest your money, how you give your money is a very clear indication of what you value. There's almost no argument to that. If you gave me your calendar and your financial record for the last year, I'd have a pretty good idea what you value. You'd see I spent some money golfing this summer. And you'd say, hmm, Kent likes to golf. And I'd say, I do. And I also like being with my brothers. And that's important to me. And I'll put some money into that. You'd find value in what we spend our money on. And God wants our hearts. 2020 has been and is our year of freedom. God put that on my heart, the, a theme that we, in, that we embrace this year as a year of freedom. And what a year it's been, huh? 2020, we'll look back on this year. I think of it started off with tremendous racial tension throughout our country. And then COVID 
jumped in and transformed all our lives, wearing masks and keeping distance and shutting down businesses, and COVID became a major factor. And then you add in our national elections, which are still not fully resolved. And this has been a challenging year, 2020. For our church, 2020 has been the celebration of our 50 years of existence. We began in 1970, 50 years. Our, the Bible has the year 50 as a year of jubilee. Every 50 years, the, the Lord spoke about having a year of jubilee for the nation of Israel where we see slaves set free and debts forgiven or ended or wiped out. A lot of different talk about how that works, but there's, there was a freedom from debt and a freedom from slavery that was to happen every 50 years. And as I prayed this through and said, God, what do you have for us as a church? I felt the Lord ask me, could you believe me to have our church be free from debt? The Bible says the, the debtor is, or the borrower is slave to the lender. And God wants freedom for us personally and corporately. And you know, when God asked me, could I believe him for that? My spirit said, yes! And my mind said, hang on a minute here. You ever had that battle? The Lord speaks something to you and your mind says, yes, and your spirit says, yes, Lord, that's of you. And your mind goes, yeah, but I, I can't figure this out quite yet. This doesn't fully make sense to me. And I began to argue with the Lord. So in my argument, I said, God, you know, we're in the middle of a COVID pandemic. And some people have lost their jobs. I don't want to be insensitive to people who have lost their jobs while we're trying to see a major debt paid off. Lord, that, it's like the Lord says, I, I got that under control. And this was back in March. I said, you know, are we not even meeting together? I mean, I'm preaching to a camera, Lord. This just doesn't really work out well of how I think it should go. And so I had a better idea for God. My better idea was, why not just let this debt payoff plan go over the next five to more years? Let's just do this that way. And the Lord said, no, that's not really what I got in mind here. And each of these supposed obstacles simply reminded me of Elijah and the battle on Mount, Car Mount Carmel. The battle is the Lord's. Our provision is from the Lord. And God is able to do what we can't figure out. Honestly, remember, my dad's an accountant, right? My dad's with the Lord now, but I grew up in a very accountant-type family. My dad always had about six pencils in his pockets, and he, he was an accountant. And we had budgets and plans, and, and so that's in me. And as I tried to figure out how we would do this as a church, I figured there's no way. It didn't add up. It doesn't make sense. The Lord said, good. Because God is really not worried about money. Some of you may hear this 
and hear what I might have heard at times because I've been in church all my life. And one of the reasons I avoided even talking about money is because I've seen, so, I've seen it done so poorly so many times that I don't want to be in that crowd. I've seen abuse. I've seen manipulation. I've seen false prophetic words. I've seen it all. I lived in Oklahoma, and that says a lot if you have any idea what's going on things down there, it's like, okay, Lord. But, you know, just because things have been done wrongly doesn't mean we shouldn't do them in the right way. And God has really clearly shown me that this challenge before us is not about, it's not principally about paying off the money. It's principally about growing in faith. What happened on Mount Carmel when God provided fire from heaven, go figure that one out, when fire fell from heaven, the people said, the Lord is God. If there's anything I want to see as pastor of this church, I want to see us be a church of faith. That we would grow in faith for every area of our lives. Finances are just one that's pretty tangible but faith for salvations for family members that don't know the Lord. Faith for health when we're sick. Faith for God to move in our country. Faith for God to change us, change our character. There's so many areas where we need faith because Romans 1.17, the just will live by faith. We are called to be a people of faith, and this is simply something that God, this is just one thing that God puts before us as a workshop of faith. My argument, God, it doesn't add up, and God said, good, then you're going to have to trust me and not your math. This morning in our prayer time, Brian mentioned, you know, one day is as a thousand years to the Lord. I thought God has different math, doesn't he? Our math doesn't always work. But our faith is what God is looking for. When I return, will I find faith on the earth? And God is challenging us. I do want to say there are four reasons. There are reasons why it would be helpful for our church to pay off the debt. Reason one, that our long-term debt has been a weight around our necks for about 20 years. Seven years ago, our debt was at $1.3 million, and we were paying off the interest. The elders prayed about that and said, that's not how we want this to go long term. We began a payoff plan, and by God's grace and the generosity of his church, we've paid it down to, at last I checked, 477000 Praise the Lord. From $1.3 million, we've been faithful to discipline and put money towards paying that off. And we're in that range, last check, 477000 You know, really, that's the cost of one suburban house here in Eden Prairie. For some people, that sounds like a mountain. For others, you can join me in that faith. And each year, we're paying off about $165,000 to the bank. 
And it's good that we pay the bank. It's good that we are aggressive in that, but I think God has better for us. It's time to be free. Reason two, we are an Antioch church. What does that mean? Antioch is simply a church that was a sending church. People came in and they sent people. And one thing God has called us from our very founding is that we're a sending church. We want to send more people. We want to see the outreach of this church be greater. And when you speak of sending, there's prayer, there's people, but there's also money. It takes money to send people to other countries. It takes money to see people established and supported while they're on the field. There were days where we'd send people with a one-way ticket and say, live by faith, hallelujah. Um, I don't think that's what God's calling us to today. We're a sending church, and we want to increase our sending, and there becomes a limit to how far you can do that when you're working within an annual budget. We want to see an increase in our sending, our training and sending of our people. Reason three, capital improvements. If you haven't noticed, this is an older building, and there are some things like our HVAC system, which is failing, and we're patching it together. We're keeping things going, but we need to put some money into our church here. Our carpeting's, I think, 20 years old. It's time. But those take finances that we are putting towards the debt. And number four, care for the poor. One thing that brings me great joy is when we are caring for the poor. We brought down a Thanksgiving dinner yesterday to In Love, Word, Indeed. Multiple turkeys, lots of food, brought it down to care for people in the streets. That's us. There's some people that took lead, but that's our finances that paid for that. They're caring for the poor. We want to do that more and more and more because the scripture continually calls us to care for the poor. And when I watch the money going to the bank each year, each month, I go, oh God, set us free that the finances, that we can put everything that comes in, put it into your kingdom. So there are financial reasons that this will make a difference for us. I believe that God wants us to be debt-free. Two principles I've learned in working with money. One is that God uses the many. Now, I've been involved with this for, as a missionary, lived by support, by faith for 27 years. And God challenged us. Wouldn't it be interesting that God, the guy who says, I'm not dealing with money, God, somebody else can do that. God says, no, you're going to deal with this. And we, number years ago, we bought a mission center in Santo Domingo. And God began to stretch my faith. Got a picture. I'm in a third world country where $10 matters, where people couldn't come to, for a meeting because they were lacking the $3 for public transportation. It was a developing poor nation, Dominican Republic. And God led us to a place and said, this is your place. We had a divine meeting with God and God said, this is your place. And it was $450,000, and we had about $1,000 in the bank and no regular income. 
and we entered into contract to buy this place. But as we were getting close to the closing, the leader said to me, Narelle, how much money do you have? I had $1,000. And I had to pay him in two weeks $450,000. And I said, well, it's none of your business. You give me the contract, I'll give you the money. He's like, Narelle, how much money do you have? And I went, well, we don't really have any money. But you haven't given me the contract, so you give me the contract. And he's like, oh, Narelle, you're driving me crazy. And I'm like, just give me the contract and we'll give you the money. I laid in bed at night thinking, just give me the contract. Oh, God, what am I talking about? My accountant father was going, this is real money. You really need to have this. There's no loans that are available to you. This is a problem. And I got a call in my office from a friend in Canada who had just sold a farm. How's it going? How's the money? Well, trusting God, brother. He said, well, I just sold the farm, and if you want the money for a couple years, I can advance you the money. We'll need it back, but I can give it to you. I said, how much you got? He said, $465,000. I said, I'll take it. He deposited in the account, no signature, no contract, no nothing, sent us $465,000, and I walked into the office two weeks later and handed them $450,000. And the guy's going, yeah, I knew you were lying, Narelle. Of course, I wasn't. God did wild miracles. But here's what I learned in the process. Now we had to pay off this debt that we had just incurred and we began to receive money from all over the world, and we got it down to about 316000 Praise the Lord. But there was a deadline coming up, and I began to speak in some churches, let the need be known. I gave an announcement at one church in Florida, and a lady came up to me afterwards. I'd never seen her before. And she said, sir, I need to talk to you. Can I meet with you? Sure. She came by my hotel room where the conference was. She, we met out in the foyer. We sat down there in the lobby, and she goes, tell me how much money you need. And I said, well, I need $316,000. She goes, I can do that. And I go, who are you? I didn't have her name. I mean, I just some random lady in flowing garments. And she goes, um, I have some businesses around the world, and um, when you stood up, the Lord said, I cried, she cried, we exchanged information, praise God. But the thing that struck me weird is that earlier we'd had a prophetic word on our property. And the prophetic word, Larry Dorman, you might know him, one of the pastors in Truebridge up in northern Minnesota, he came down, he said, brother, I have a word for you. The Lord showed me a fountain with hundreds of holes around it where the water shoots and falls in the middle. And this will be hundreds of people giving to this property as an offering to God, but their money will fall here on this house. So that was the word of the Lord to us. But now here is not hundreds of people, but one lady going, I'm going to write you a check for $316,000. And I thought, well, you know, sometimes the prophets miss it, you know? I mean, who am I to say, we're not taking your check, lady? That God can provide in any way he wants. Praise the Lord. 
But the money never came. And so I send a reminder note. Check, you don't want to bug people like this. Months went by. Finally, I got her on the phone and she said, some things have gone difficult for us and uh, I can't do it. And I was being very kind. And I'm like, well, you know, Lord understands and praise the Lord, sister, and thanks anyway for things. I said, all the nice things you say. I'm in my office. I hung up the phone and just wept. And I'm like, and my wife is listening to this call. I'm like, we're in so much trouble. We are in so, I'm in so much trouble. This is really, really, really bad. I've, I've trusted everything for this lady to come through. She's backing out. We are really hurting. And my sweet wife, she was over at my side and she said, Kent, God's word does not change on a woman's backing out. The word of God remains true. Can we trust him here? I went, honey, we've communicated with everybody we've ever met, ever. And people have given what they're going to give and they've stopped because of this lady, and she's like, and God knows all of that. Can we trust the Lord? And I said, you realize I'm going to look like a fool in front of everybody that means anything to me. And she said, then we'll be fools together. We cried, and that word through my dear wife dropped into my heart, and I went, all right. Let's see what God will do. Let's see how he's going to bring $316,000 to a third world country in six months. And the heavens, the windows of heavens opened up. Things started to happen that I didn't plan at all. People started to contact me and send money, people I didn't know their names. It got so crazy at a point that I would just open my email and go, 3,000 more! 5,000 more, we got another 10. It was like every time I opened my email, there were people that had car washes and selling brownies and kids that sold their cell phones and it went viral and I did nothing. I didn't send, I just watched God open the windows of heaven and provide for us and we paid off the $316,000. By hundreds of people, go back to that slide for a second of the fountain, Hundreds of people that gave their offering to the Lord and it fell on our mission center, which is today still full of youth being trained in evangelism and discipleship and bringing the gospel around the world. And what the Lord showed me is it's never been about the money. Each of those people who gave grew in faith. I remember my father, Mr. Zero Risk Taker. Everything was calculated. And then he's caring about this property. I remember at some point when it was looking really bad, Dad said, how's it going? I said, it's not going good, Dad. And Dad says to me, son, you have watched God do incredibly crazy things. He has not changed you. You watch what he's going to do. 
And I'm like, hello? Is this Rainer Is this my dad I'm talking to? I mean, that, and I thought, you know what happened here is my dad is growing in faith. He might not have, he would not have taken the step that I took. But he was out there praying every day, giving what he could. He was a part of that. And my dad's faith in God's miraculous provision was growing. And so were our students. And so were their families. And everybody got involved because God wants faith to grow. And as I said at one time, I talked to Lauren Cunningham, the founder of YWAM, telling her about these miracles, and I said, I just want it to be over. Which really meant I just want to go back to budgets and insurance and having life all safe. And Lauren turned to me, you know, of course, he's Mr. YWAM. He turned to me and he pointed his finger and he said, it's never over. It's never over. And I just wanted to go, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I want life to be safe and God wants me to live by faith. And he wants you to live by faith. The second thing I learned in this is that God always asks us to do something. The walk of faith is not passive. I've seen too much abuse where, well, if God's going to do it, God's going to do it, so I'm just going to sit back and watch. And I go, no, that's not the way the Scripture lays it out. That's not what God calls us to. I heard a great little statement that says, we do the little thing and God does the big thing. Just say that with me. We do the little thing and God does the big thing. And so often our little thing seems ridiculous in light of what God needs to do. And because it's ridiculous, we say, well, I'm not going to do it because that won't make a difference. It's like the woman, we had a missions offering, and I saw her in the hallway. This was in North Carolina, and she was looking really sad. And they said, what's wrong? And she goes, you know, you're raising $100,000 and... I gave $7.83. So that's kind of a strange amount to give. Why did you give $7.83? She goes, well, that's all I got. So that's all you have in your pocket? No. Well, that's all I've got. I don't have gas. I don't have food. But I figure $7, I, that's all I've got. I just gave it. But what's that going to do? That's really nothing for all you need. And I... I wanted to shake her and go, you're the widow. What other people gave, they had more, but you gave everything. And I just, and you know, of course, the Lord tells me, now give her something. So I gave her some money to get some gas and get her on her way. Because that's the way the Lord is, isn't he? God has ways of taking care of us. But we must do something. We reject passivity that says, I'm just going to sit back and watch. If you sit back and watch, here's the problem. God will still do it, but your faith won't grow because you're watching somebody else get involved. And God just always told us to do something, to take a step of faith. Think of it. Peter, what did he do? He wasn't able to walk on the water, but his step was he stepped out of the boat. 
or you have Israel walked around the city of Jericho. Not a real great strategy for taking a city. Walk around the city and blow your trumpets. Kind of silly, except God used their step to bring the walls down. The Jordan River, they had to step into the water with the ark. Their stepping into the water did not part the waters, but they took a step of faith. Moses stretched out his rod over the Red Sea. The waters parted, or the widow gave her two mites. Each one did the small thing by faith, and as they put their faith into action, God did the big thing. So honestly, I'm just really being open here. Honestly, I have no idea how God's going to do this. And that's kind of fun, <laughs> kind of scary, fairly vulnerable. But how many times have I preached, just listen to the Lord, say, yes, Lord, and obey? And I felt the Lord speak to me to say, put this before the church and watch me work. And all my objections and my calculations don't really matter. So this is part of my obedience, to be obedient to put this before us. I believe God wants to grow us in faith. I believe this is not too big a thing for God. And what I'm asking you to do is to do something. That's how far I'm going to I'm asking you to do something. Janet and I have been praying about us. I said, I don't want to give even you and I as a couple, which is normally how we do it, but we each give. I said, Janet, I want you to give and I want me to give. I want everybody to do something. I'd love to have that something include your children. Have them do something. That something may be they pray about it and it means Give their 37 cents. Praise the Lord. Have them do that in faith and give their 37 cents. I don't know what that means for you. The worship team, come up, please. What I am asking the Lord for I'm asking the Lord to retire our debt by the end of 2020. We've talked about this on and off since the beginning of the year. But I'm asking the Lord to retire our debt by the end of the year. On your seat are pledge cards. Um, you can give a one-time gift or a pledge or whatever God would ask of you. Can't ask more, can't ask less. And what I'm really, really what really gets me going is I just say, God, grow our faith. What, I'm, what I believe for, what I'm asking is that we will have stories and go, did you hear? Did you hear what happened? And we will say, the Lord, he is God. Look what God can do. And if God can do that, then God can do this for me. If God can do that, then God can do this. 
because God is our faithful God. What I ask you to do is just pray over the card. Pray with your family members. Pray over the card. Listen to what God would speak to you and obey. That's what I'm attempting to do this morning is to walk in obedience to the Lord. And then in a moment, we have two baskets here as an offering or just take your card. You can have the offering with it or that can be at a later time. Put these in the basket and then continue to pray that God will do what seems undoable, impossible for us. Can you join me in that prayer? Please don't just sit back and watch because then you'll miss the step in growth in faith. Be a part of what God's doing. Be a part of the freedom that God has for us this year together as a church. And as you're bringing your card forward, it says God loves a joyful giver. That, that word, I think, means like hilarious giver. So if you want to dance, shout, sing, have at it, let's worship the Lord. Let's join together in faith. Let's see what God can do. I'll close the service in a few minutes. Let's take this time to bring our pledges forward before the Lord.
of it all. Thank you, God, that you are the faithful God. That, God, we do our little thing and you do the big thing, God. And that we can trust our lives to you. Father, I pray that we would grow as a church of faith. That, Father, we would believe you for great things, for impossible things that we would hear that nothing is impossible for you. Father, may we grow in faith as we walk in faith, God. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for a chance to speak of you, to open our hearts, to hear from your spirit. Together we say, thank you, Lord. In this week of Thanksgiving, we're thankful first and foremost to you. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being together this morning. If you'd like some ministry, someone to pray with you, to seek the Lord with you, Steve's over there with the ministry team back through those doors. And if you're our guest this morning, please stop by and say hi. I'd love to meet you out at the Welcome Center. Go and have a great week of giving thanks to the Lord. God bless. You are worthy of it all.